Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? What's up is that the the listeners are in control tonight, Andrew. Nice. Those are the best shows because we cannot be trusted. No, we, we are... We are exhausted. We're tired, and they do all the work for us in the rundown. Let's be let's be frank. That's right. This is a mailbag special. That's right. On our last podcast, we gave you red cards and man of the match. Uh, we we hit on all the all the old staples of this podcast, and now we're uh, we're getting into another one here. I mean, we do mailbags somewhat frequently, but mailbag specials are are few and far between. So uh, I, I love these shows. We touch on. All kinds of things. I've looked through it, JJ. Um, I think people are really going to enjoy this. We we hit on everything. Well, uh, most of everything. I uh, I want to thank everyone for the response. There are things we will not get to, but stuff that I left out that I would have loved to talk about, but um, just not tonight. I guess it's for for another day. Hmm. Need a part two of the mailbag. Definitely, but I mean, it's a great chance to to down the line uh, do this again. Oh yeah. Oh, of course, many, many times. And oftentimes these are mixed in with our regular pods. So, you know, we don't always devote full podcasts to a mailbag like we are with this one. But, I mean, that should not stop anybody from sending emails to caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com or tweeting at us at COSoccerPod because we go through your emails and tweets uh, all the time on our podcast. So, please, the more interactive this can be, the better. Join the Reddit group. Be one with the animals. All right. They're always taking new uh, new visitors into the cages. So uh, please, please take part in, in all of the different ways that you can consume all of the content. I think, JJ, you told me like a couple months ago, you even created a website for us. I don't know what's on it. I don't know if any if it exists, if it's what the deal is with it. But apparently there is one right now. It looks like a, a casualty of the 2000 dot com boom <laughs> as there is nothing on it. But uh, that is hopefully going to be a place. Uh, where we can put everything together 
Um, but as you know, Andrew, progress is a slow process, and I just haven't got around to that part yet. Yeah, it's also not always linear. It's it's not always linear. Yeah. But you know, we're always working towards those key deliverables. There we go. Yep, get that mention in there. Key deliverables. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, without further ado, right? Like, we should we should probably just dive in. And I know that there was soccer, hot soccer action today, hot Carabao action that oh, went on today the in the League Cup. Yeah, so that will, don't worry, that will be mixed in among the mail. So uh, just because we're doing a mailbag doesn't mean that we're kind of abandoning the most pressing issues that are happening currently in this sport. So we'll get to all those things along with like the more kind of irreverent stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it, it was, uh, it was so, so good. Southampton so strong, physically so, so good. He wasn't, I didn't hear much of that. No, no. In fact, he was pretty much. Got beaten by the better team, and they were bad, Andrew. They were very bad. Yeah. Um, the saves that Gavin Bazunu had to make for Southampton were pretty much saves you'd expect. And they didn't have a shot on target till like the 77th minute. So it wasn't yeah. great. Wasn't great going into a Manchester derby. But anyway, um, I should let you know how did how did people get in touch with us for this, Andrew? They contacted us on Twitter at CO Soccer Pod. They contacted us on Instagram at caught offside pod. And they contacted us, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com by the old uh, Gmail, the old email. So um, let's begin with Twitter and an original, an OG, Matt Sears, probably Ah. the first person ever to download this podcast. That's why we remember him. Uh, A good guy. Uh, Can you please explain how Roberto Martinez keeps getting high profile jobs? What are these clubs countries seeing that I am not? He has basically failed upward his entire career with little to actually show for it. Andrew, that's a damning indictment of of Martinez. Yeah. Um, Can I I launch the defense? Yeah, sure. I have a little bit of one as well. I'll be curious what our overlap is. Yeah, like I don't think that's entirely fair. Um, Nothing to show for it. Let's just take, for example, the recent years with Belgium. They finished third in the 2018 World Cup. Now, yeah. if you want to say to me, Euro 2020 wasn't very good, still got to a quarterfinal, lost out to Italy, and this World Cup was definitely a disaster. No, yeah, this this was the disaster. But think of the, what you just said there. The third place finish when they lost to France, and then this Euro, the most recent Euros, when they lost to Italy. Two of the last three tournaments they were in, the team they lost to was the team that went on to win the whole thing. Yeah, and it's unfortunate for them that they met the team of destiny and the best team in the world in a semifinal of a World Cup. His... You know, he brought Swansea from League One to the championship, kind of honed a certain style of football there, went to Wigan, kept them up for three seasons, albeit then relegated them. But that same season, they had their probably one of their biggest moments in their history, if not their biggest moment, to win the FA Cup. Um, Over Manchester City, no less. And then they go to, uh, then he goes to Everton. It went very well at the start, top five finish. Not so well after that, but Everton weren't particularly patient with him. And then he's gone on the international circuit. I don't see anything in, in his CV to suggest that he shouldn't be manager of Portugal. I actually think it might be a good fit. Yeah. Now, look, I understand the skepticism because what just happened for Belgium left a horrible taste in people's mouths. Right. Um, but how much of that is his fault? Uh, I mean, it's hard to kind of parse through exactly how much blame you portion to the manager versus the players. It's an aging team. There was clearly issues within that team. Yeah. Uh, that that kind of tore at the seams of what they were going to achieve. 
and they played poorly. Yeah, I mean, look, of course he deserves blame for how things went. But I mean, to suggest, I don't know, like what what would have been the next step in his career that people felt, okay, that that's more reasonable. Because I like him going to Portugal at this stage of where Portugal is, I mean, they're they're entrusting a really important generation of Portuguese players to this guy. Bruno Fernandes, Ruben Diaz, João Cancelo, Bernardo Silva, Diego Jota. Like this is this is a team in Portugal that whatever future tournaments they're a part of, they'll think that they have a shot at winning. And so now this is the man that they think can take them to those heights. So I, I do get the skepticism, but I also think it's a little bit harsh to say that he's failed upward at every turn of his career. I, I he's had he has had good moments as a manager. I I don't think you can just gloss over those like they never happened. Yeah, and I'd say my final word on it is international football is it's. <laughs> He's failing, if anything, sidewards. You know, he's gone from one very good European team on the Schneid to a very good European team that's kind of, he can probably take further and with a style of football that pro- he he can provide them more positive football, maybe. Um, that's what I think anyways. And um, I don't think there's too much more to say about poor Roberto un- until his first run of bad results and then we both look like nin- nincompoops. Um, so there we go. Uh, Kyle Nussbaum. Honestly, can Liverpool make top four asking for a friend? <laughs> um, um, look, I kept it simple. They absolutely can make top four, but it's going to take a heck of a run. It's going to take a burst like we saw in the spring of 2021. And Andrew, I don't know if they have that in them. Right now, you'd have to say it doesn't look likely. Uh, some of the injuries particularly to Virgil van Dijk, injuries in the attack, long-term injuries were still waiting to come back. They don't seem like they'll be back anytime soon. Um, a general malaise in that midfield. Um, I, I, I don't see it. I, I don't. But I'm, I mean, hope springs eternal. You're all, with, with this team, they've defied the odds before, but um, this is going to be tricky. And particularly with a resurgent Manchester United vying for that spot. Uh, yeah, so well, here. And also let- Newcastle in the mix. Let's break it down like this. So, okay, they're sixth right now on 28 points. Tottenham are fifth on 33, played one game more. United are fourth on 35 points. And Newcastle are third, also on 35 points, also having played one game more than Liverpool. Um, So if I'm looking at that and I'm Liverpool, I'm thinking, okay, Newcastle are the team that I'm going to target. Let's assume, this is not a safe assumption, but let's just, for the sake of this conversation, let's assume Liverpool win that match that they have at hand over Liverpool. So let's say they're on 31 points, having played the same number of games uh, as Newcastle. So the question you have to ask yourself if you're Liverpool is, can you make up a four-point gap over the course of 20 games? And the, the answer to that is, of course they can. Yeah. I think that that's how they have to look at it. They play Newcastle at St. James Park on February 18th. Obviously, that'll be a huge one. And here's one thing to keep in mind. The month of May, the final month of the season, for Liverpool, this is where like, it may feel like they're not going to do it. You might see the point gap, and you might think, no, it's not going to happen. But just remember this. That final month, this is what Liverpool have to look forward to. Home versus Brentford, at Leicester City, home versus Villa, at Southampton. All extremely winnable extremely winnable that should be they should take three points from each of those and go undefeated to end the season newcastle have both arsenal and chelsea in that final month so if liverpool are within say five points going into may you might think a five point gap with four to go i don't know it's going to be tough but like that that may be 
exactly what they need. If they can just stay within a five point margin and then they end up in May, you know, then I think they, I think they got a shot. Now, look, I'm, I'm breaking this down to just like the most base reductive level. Um, That's what you talk all the time. Like you, you can't just look at a fixture list and say like, okay, well, three points there, three there, going to lose that, going to win that. Um, And like, but I, I will say this though, you talk about the Liverpool injuries and that is, that's a real thing. But again, these are not season enders. All these guys are expected back at some point or another. I know, Mo Salah it... just had a month and a half off. So while other players may start to tire, Newcastle are not exactly, for, for all the good things about Newcastle, I don't know if depth is one of the things that we chart up in, in, in the positive column. No, and not. I know, so I, I, I'm not, I get, I get the pessimism. If I were making picks right now, I don't know that Liverpool would be in my top four. But I'll, I'll say this, I'd think long and hard about it. I'm not ruling them out of anything at this point. No, of course you're not. And and we've only had a few games back after the break. And it does feel like a new season. For me, it really does. But, you know, if you saw their performance at home to Leicester or you saw sure. their performance away at Brentford, you would not be as blasé as you are to just say, well, you know, these are these are winnable games at the end of the season. Yeah, on paper they are. But so far, Liverpool have not put in the kind of performances. You know, it's funny because Villa away, there were so many good things in that performance. You thought, this is a team that could burst into life, and that gave you hope. Everything since then has been has been pretty drab. Um, shall we move on, Andrew? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Kevin, Kevin O'Donnell, when will you guys start making new audio drops? I really miss the Carabao Cup squeals. Mm. Does, does the Carabao squeal? I think it's more of a... <laughs> That's a great question. I want and you I... to do that again. <laughs> do it again. It's a pretty good impression, right? It is. It is. Who needs to drop? And I believe that is that? your your actual mating call from your single days. Yeah, I, you having said that just now, I, I the doorbell is ringing. There's people flocking. Women are flocking here, having heard that. <laughs> it's like a clarion call. Um, uh, yeah, I would say in terms of that, great question. And for all those out there who are technically inclined and gifted, if you know of any good free soundboard programs Stop hook it saying up free hook it up oh my god we're business free free, free you are unbelievable speculate to accumulate ever hear of that look basically guys in in the transition one of the things that we have missed is that we do have all our sounds all our drops oh it's crap oh it's bloody rubbish most rubbish. most i don't know if we have all well there's none that we can't get again uh, what we need right. is a, a soundboard that we can do them live and do the drops as we're recording, as opposed to putting them in in, in post production, which we want to avoid doing because that is just that's hassle. Yeah. We don't need that. We just want to be able to hit it. So we need hotkeys. We mm-hmm. have moved from a ten million dollar studio uh, to Andrew's laundry room and my apartment in Brooklyn. These are facts. Yeah. There's no getting around that, and there will be. A few technical issues, uh, uh, obstacles to get over, and, and some obstacles including your absolute unbelievable refusal to spend any money on equipment. It's it's remarkable. Um, yeah, I'm looking at everything in front of me right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I have a computer, <laughs> but um, and this microphone. But uh, I'm using, what are we using? Audacity to cut 
up the podcast and edit it, which was free to download. Oh, don't go through how thrifty you've been since our, like, please. I know times are tough, but we are businessmen now. I have a but we're in the early, but this is like a startup. I mean, I know that we've yeah. been around for a long time, but we're kind of in like in in a reboot startup phase. And and much of that I'm proud of, but I will be buying new equipment. There's no question. Well, have fun spending all that money while I sit here and. Uh, all right, we, I mean, let's not. It's it's almost as if we're auditing ourselves live on air. Let's not do that. Uh, Tyler Bates, Tyler's got a question. With Haller back for uh, Baron. Bayern Munich, uh, Borussia Dortmund. Can he provide a boost in the finishing needed for BVB to make a push in the second half of the Bundesliga? Thanks, lads, as always, for the wonderful pods. This is Uh, so great, by the way. I read this on CNN, and this is why I feel very uncomfortable uh, talking about uh, Sebastian Haller coming back and providing a boost. I totally get what Tyler is saying, but This was the opening line of one of CNN's uh, articles on it. The 28-year-old underwent two surgeries and four rounds of chemotherapy after receiving his diagnosis in July, having just signed for his new club. Two surgeries, four rounds of chemotherapy. I mean, it's just a celebration of life that he got on the field in that friendly, um, was against Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf. The other day. Just just a celebration of of the human spirit. And I'm sure he can get back to what he was. I, I believe that he can, but it feels almost wrong to even have any expectations other than you're back, get fit, get going. You yeah, know? That, that's probably the right approach. He came on in the 74th in the, in a friendly. Um, Rafa Honigstein wrote about it at The Athletic. He quoted Holler saying, I can do everything now that I used to do before. That gives me great confidence. I t- so you mentioned it, JJ. You said two surgeries and four rounds of chemo, right? Yeah. Here's here's what Holler said. I took only 19 days off in the six months. It was hard, but it's my job, and I love it. I mean, it's amazing. God, what an attitude! What an incredible attitude and approach to this that he took. Um, yeah, I mean, God Almighty, how can you not be rooting for him? I mean, it's it's. Yeah. I, I like you said. I hope that this goes this goes well. But you're right to his reemergence into the side. I mean, look, they would they, they would only play him if they know that he can do it. Um, yeah, sure. So you do have to have a certain level of trust that you know he would only be back playing if he was capable and ready to do that. So right. I do I understand Borussia Dortmund fans seeing his return and and you know being heartened by it uh, in terms of what it'll actually mean on the field. But you're I'm kind of where you are right now of sort of like the slow approach of okay, like. Let's see him. Let's see how effective he can be first. Let's see what his fitness actually looks like. Like, I don't know that I can just see his name back on the team sheet and be like, oh, well, here we go. You know, I, I, I got to kind of see it happen first. Yeah. And also, you know, Dortmund have lost what? They've lost six games um, to this point. They restart on January in the Bundesliga on January 20th against Augsburg. And it's as much down to, you know, Hummels and Sula at the back. Um, to tighten this thing up and make sure that they don't lose games as it is for anybody else in the team. Um, they're they're such a weird side. Like they, they are. I mean, it's probably a product of consistently chopping and selling really, really good players. But at the same point, they've got, what, Guerrero, Schlatterbeck, um, who did I say? Sula, Hummels. Like, figure something out there. Be, be harder to beat, really. 
well, they're they're sixth right now, uh, nine points back of Bayern Munich for top of the table, who I don't see them or probably anyone catching. Um, but they're right there as far as Champions League qualification goes, which is probably going to be the target that they have for this season. I mean, look, maybe they can think that they can push Bayern, but I, I wouldn't see that. So the question, I guess, if if you're looking at Holler's reintroduction to the side as being you know, a thing that will kick them on. The question is, is how much you believe finishing and goal scoring is their problem. Um, so in, in 15 games, JJ, they've scored one or zero goals seven times. So nearly half of their games. So, I mean, it is then fair to think that they could, they could be doing better in that part of the field. And so then it's fair to think, well, if Holler's coming back, you know, even as a sub for the time being, you know, that, that's that's potentially important. Uh, it'll be fun to see like Bellingham after his his awesome World Cup. Uh, it'll be fun to see a healthy and highly motivated Gio Reyna, JJ. Um, he hasn't been in the then, papers. He's had a quiet, quiet time after the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, what's what's he been up to anyway? Hmm. Um, and then, of course, Yusufa uh, Makoko, 18-year-old breakout star of the season, who, by the way, I'm seeing now is on the radar of Newcastle, Chelsea, oh, Barcelona. So he'll be out of there most likely next summer. Um, but he'll, it looks like he'll, he'll be with them through the January window. So he's their leading scorer so far this season. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't, uh, like I said, don't see them catching Byron, but top four, yeah. Yeah, I see. I could see that. All right. We'll move on to Corey Thrasher. That's one of the great American names. Yeah. Corey Thrasher. Sounds like he should have been the lead singer of Slipknot. Let's think of all the things that he can't be. Like, I don't think you can be an accountant with that name. Uh, I'm not going to a divorce lawyer called Corey Thrasher. Okay. Not doing it. (laughs) Um, Child care. You're sending yeah, your kid call. over to the Thrasher? No, no, not. no, thank you. <laughs> um, but he could be involved in the harvesting of wheat, the sure. old, the old thrashing machine. That's more of a, isn't that a thresher? Oh, you might be a right. Wheat thresher. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. He could be the CEO of uh, Thrasher Records, a trash metal company. You know. Okay, I think we covered it. Yeah. Options for Corey. Um, so this is an old one that Corey sent me, and I just wanted to 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 shoehorn it in. Um, so it's from September. Trying to watch the U.S. men's national team game, but I can't. Jeez, you're not kidding. You really have saved this. Yeah, this is me, like getting in a time machine. Yeah, right. Me and my wife finished The Sopranos last night, and now I have a Tony Soprano-sized hole in my heart. Um, might want to see a doctor about that. How do you move on from what is the best show you have ever seen? Well, well um, there's a simple answer. You don't. Like, you well, don't move on. Like That you, wasn't going to be what I said. Well, let me, let me, well, I who's the Sopranos aficionado here? Just think it's me. So I can't have an opinion on moving on from a favorite show? You may, but I must have mine heard first. I, I would say you never move on from the Sopranos. What will happen in your life, Corey, is that you won't watch it for like a while. And then you'll go, you know what? It was so good. I'll have a rewatch. And the next thing you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months have gone by and you're in season five and you've thought, I've enjoyed this and noticed things I didn't notice the first time. And you'll and you'll do multiple rewatches over the course of the next decade. That's how it's going to work out for you. And sometimes when you have when there's nothing good on TV, nothing you want to stream, you'll think, oh, I'll put on a regular around the margins or I'll put on long term parking 
or I'll put on Pinelands. This show can be watched. These are little individual meals and they can be watched uh, sequentially or out of order. It is, it's the best show. It's it's the the highest form of American television. Uh, but you'll watch other shows, you know, Better Call Saul, um, Breaking Bad, um, The Wire, We Own This City. Like th- this show launched, if anything, its greatest um, compliment was that it launched like a renaissance of American television where it was all put on streaming or somewhere that you had to pay for it and away from the bigger networks who had, you know, they had to work, worry about, you know, uh, focus on the family, swearing, um, you know, adult things. They had to keep, they had to, you know, do focus groups. Whereas this was something that they went out, they shot a pilot, the pilot was well received and they went with it and they let David Chase and Ter- Terry Winter and all those people do their thing. So um, oh, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing TV. It's amazing yeah. TV. It's it's absolutely one of the top three all time American television. I mean, I know you have it at number one, which I wouldn't fight you on that. Mm. It's right, certainly. Um, I, my advice is you got to just have one in the holster. Like you got to know as the sh- as you're winding down. Like you know when you're getting near the end. Um, you can see the episode guide. So like Such you got to start advice. taking recommendations immediately. And so, cause like, I always, I find that too, when I'm watching a show that I love and I'm so invested, you know, I think like, I can't get up for another show. Like I just was for this, but inevitably I always do. You just have to have like, talk to your friends, tweet, send out a tweet, just being like, Hey, I need, I'm done with, I just finished this. I need recommendations on a new show quick. And next thing you know, you're, you're invested. Oh, it's so true. One in the holster is a great phrase. You have to have something ready to go yep. uh, and you will get invested. You will love again. Yeah, you will right. love again. Um, and we'll talk more about shows a little bit later. Uh, Jack Freeman. Now, I would go to Jack Freeman for legal services. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, JJ, how do Irish folks feel about American football? Follow up question. What are the strengths and weaknesses of soccer, American football and Gaelic football? OK, um, well, Jack. Uh, the first question is that I can't speak for all Irish people. Um, they don't allow me to do that. But there are there's loads of Irish people that love it, but there's also loads of Irish people for whom it's just this weird thing that Sky show on a Sunday night. And even for Irish Americans over here, they either love it and watch it and tune in, or it's too stop-start, it's too boring, they can't handle it because we come from field sports, Gaelic football and hurling and soccer, that are pretty much nonstop. That's so, what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Is what, like, you know, you know, you hear all the critiques that Americans here who refuse to embrace soccer, the, the common lines that they throw out there about it, um, reasons that they don't like it. And I was curious what that would be with American football. And you, you pretty much touch on it there. It's, 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 um, sometimes the in stadium experience is not as good as the TV experience. Okay. You can be up in the in in the upper regions of uh the Meadowlands watching a game as I have been Jets and and the Rams before the Rams were good. Brutal. Just oh absolutely brutal. What a terrible the tailgating was the best part. It was a terrible waste of a game. It was like 9-3. Just oh yeah, I mean, so, you you get this, you get that in soccer too. The equivalent of sure, that. sure, soccer. I often say soccer can be the most, the most spirit crushing um, thing you can watch, 
but but nothing comes close to a bad game of American football or indeed rugby. Um, as for the, you know, the great parts of soccer, we talk about that all the all the time in the podcast. There's no need to go through them. Gaelic football, I would say, it, it's a sport I grew up with. It's fast. It's quick. It's physical. I often think that if if it was not just played in the immigrant centers of America and it was played throughout America and introduced to Americans at a young age, Americans would love it because it's physical, it's skillful, it's got all those things. Um, and and for me, American football is is so. I, I've been to or I've watched games and I've been to games with total shootouts. And you're how did he catch that? And then the running back gets it, returns like takes the ball all the way down the field, avoids tackles. It's thrilling, absolutely thrilling. Um, but but the rules and the stop start does put a lot of Irish people off. A lot of rules. Yeah, ton of rules. Lots of rules. She's rule heavy. Okay. Um, Efren, do you believe the World Cup hurt teams that were in form, such as Napoli or Newcastle? Boy, I thought this was a great question. I um, didn't have I, I didn't have a clear answer. But I mean, I have a little first. bit here. Like for, first you have to ask yourself, okay, well have they have they been affected? I mean, look at Newcastle. They beat Bournemouth and Leeds. Um no, they to, drew at Leeds. Or I'm sorry, no, they they beat Bournemouth and uh Leicester to advance to the semis of the League Cup. Um beat uh they drew with Arsenal. Um drew with Leeds in the league. Yeah, drew with Leeds in the league. Uh I mean, obviously the Sheffield Wednesday FA Cup loss was bad, but again, I mean, you know what I said about that the other day. I think that that was one that they were almost, they wanted to win, but were willing to sacrifice. It was sandwiched in between Arsenal and a League Cup quarterfinal. Mm. Um, So, I mean, I don't know if you ask the Newcastle fan up to this point since returning from the World Cup, do you feel like they've dipped? Are things different? I I don't know that they would necessarily say that. I'm not sure they would feel that way. No, Napoli came out of the break and played Inter and lost 1-0 which was their first defeat of the season. They're still in a game seven... where they weren't they weren't that bad. No, they weren't that bad. Um they were they still remain 7 points clear of Juve who are beginning to put a run of form together. And Napoli didn't go on a slide. They came back then and beat Samp and Sampdoria in the next game. Right. So I, I there's there's a feeling though with a lot of this that it'll be March and April, you know, or maybe the next few games. Like we we haven't really got back into the swing of things yet. Um, in in some in some cases. So, um, I don't think we're seeing it yet. I certainly in the case of Newcastle, um, I don't feel it. Uh, I like the the Leeds result was frustrating for sure, because Leeds frustrated them and they were at home, and and the, that was a game they probably circled and thought we can win this. It's winnable, but they they played pretty much. You know, not for a draw, but they played to frustrate Arsenal. That was a good point at the league leaders, away at the league leaders. So I suppose the short answer is no. Uh, I don't think the World Cup has has hurt those those teams. Um, Atticus Proctor, another another long-term listener, Andrew. What's Andrew's new job? A month or so ago, he said he couldn't say much. Can we know more now? Also, what is JJ's day job? It is never mentioned. Uh, it isn't mentioned, but 
I let me deal with my one first. I, I am in a another branch of the media. It's uh it's all I'm willing to say. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, I like all to right. keep a keep an air of mystique. Yeah, you are a man of mystery. Did I I, I never said No, never you never went into detail. No. Huh. Well, that was not a, in the beginning. It was out of some level of secrecy because where I went, it hadn't been announced yet, and they wanted it to be kept quiet. But beyond that, it—that's it, just an oversight by me. I left to take a, um, a supervising producer position for a new sports network that was launched uh, a couple months ago on Amazon Prime Video. So you can, uh, at this point, it still hasn't been promoted that heavily. It's still probably a little bit hard to find. It's still in the very early stages of it um, where we're kind of just, even though it's backed by a big company like Amazon, um, it does feel like a startup right now. Yeah. Um, and so it's in its extreme infancy. Um, but, you know, so far I'm I'm proud of it that it's gotten off the ground and it's it's operating. It's, you know, I think there's good things happening and I'm I'm excited about it. Um, and I look forward to seeing where it's going to go from here. Um, it's been cool and fun so far. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at. That's where, that's what I do now. Yeah. It's nice. And you consider yourself a businessman right now, you know? Uh, no. An executive no, of some sorts though. I mean, if you want to call me that, I, uh, I won't fight you. <laughs> I, uh, I'm very, No, very you told me you bought a briefcase and a long trench coat and, um, you got yourself a secretary called Emily. I don't have a secretary. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a briefcase. In fact, I'm using a book bag that is tattered and has holes in it. God. Uh, Will you buy some new stuff? I am a minimalist to an absolute extreme. <laughs> it is pathetic. I desperately need a new bag for work. It, it's actually it's a little bit embarrassing. God, you're like you're like um, you're like Ted Kaczynski, like one of the hallmarks. Yeah, of... we're exactly alike. Well, no, one of his hallmarks was he used to use all these old bits and pieces of things to create his mayhem. Buy new stuff, you weirdo. I need a new bag. I need oh, a new bag. God. Yeah. But, What's for lunch, yeah, so... Andrew? Apple cores. <laughs> well, I was uh, rummaging through the garbage and. Uh... Found some crust from an old peanut butter and jelly sandwich. To find him, you licking the wrapper of a KFC. Can't let this go to waste. Ooh, that does sound good. Yeah, you would do that. The colonel knows how to make chicken. Other fried chicken outlets are available. So is that it? Does that satisfy people? Is that, uh, I don't know. I mean, what... I guess it's, it's, it's a lot of detail. It's more detail than you offered up uh, originally. Um, Peter. Peter's got a question. What three stadiums chosen for the 2026 World Cup do you want to visit the most? Well, this is a fun question. It is um, fun. Let's let you go first, and let's see if there's any kind of crossover between us, and it'll okay. tell us a lot about who we are as people. Uh, let's see. I mean, well, look, I know everyone has a uh, how do I say this an an HO for uh, Monterey, <laughs> uh, which I get the, the scenery That's there. Number all that. one on my list. It's number one. Yeah, I mean, so I get that. Um, here in America, I mean, look, obviously, SoFi Stadium looks amazing in Los Angeles. Um, so that would probably be on my list. And I I would love to hear just like the, the decibel level that we could get to for a big U.S. game at either Lumen Field in Seattle or Arrowhead 
in Kansas City. Um, I think either of those would be really cool. I mean, look, obviously I have a soft spot for the link in Philadelphia. I'm so happy that they got one. I, yeah. I have seen a game there. I went to a friendly between the Union and Real Madrid, which was pretty Terrible. cool. Oh, all right. I guess you've decided that that was a bad experience. I, I enjoyed it, but JJ has decided, no, it was terrible. It was all Real Madrid fans, let's be honest. I mean, I remember there being a lot of Union fans. Me and my friends, we were there supporting the Union. It was, I don't know. Oh, the I, five of you outweighed the 75,000. Were you Madrid there? Fans. I just know how Madrid travel. Were you much... there? No, I wasn't. <laughs> all right. Well, what is this then? Sorry. Um. But so I I'd obviously love to see a, a big game there. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good choices. What what else did you have? Oh, I had SoFi. Uh, I like Los Angeles, and the stadium looks kind of modern and interesting. Kind of, yeah, is modern and interesting. <laughs> I guess if you're if you're into stadiums, uh, that's got to be on your list of new ones to see. Uh, Vancouver, uh, because it's supposed to be just a great town. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think that that's going to be a really fun venue. And yeah, look, the Estadio BBVA in Monterey, because of the mountain, the spectacular backdrop of the Cerro de la Silla. I believe that's the mountain. It look it it does look fascinating, but it's yeah. it's almost one of those places that it's been. It's like a meme now. You see it on Twitter. Check out these top 10 amazing soccer stadiums. You won't believe there's a soccer stadium here. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Pops up. It's like, it's now become, it's not cool anymore. It's too mainstream. Yeah. Everyone, the secret's out. It's like, oh, enough already. We get it. Yeah, it's great. There's a mountain. Right. A little bit like that. Okay. Moving on. Lucas, what position does JJ play? And if Andy did play, what would his position be? Well, number 10, days, easily, I'd be number 10. You can't be number 10. Why? Oh, Andrew. Yeah, go on, critique me. Break me down. You have to be creative. You have mm-hmm. to be nimble. Mm-hmm. You have to have like this high footballing IQ. Yes. You, you have to see things, uh, <laughs> you know, two, three steps before. This is not you at all. Well, what am I then? Oh, you are a reserve left back in a four four two. I couldn't play fullback. You get destroyed by wingers, is it? I don't have the speed for that. Oh man, well, what are you? I, I'd be a center back. You're not quick though. In the modern game with a high line, you get killed. I'll tell you what. On a very low level, um, I was a fine goalkeeper. I was pretty. I would say I was pretty good on an but- inter- on an intramural level. I was pretty good. Would you say you're an agile man? I mean, not anymore, but if you gave me some time to kind of like train and get back into it, I could play goalkeeper. I got great hands. You wouldn't see any punching, all catching. Oh, so you'd be a throwback keeper then? All catching. Wow. None of this punching. Okay. Um, I'm 40, so I play wherever... Wherever my body will allow these days. So, like, maybe right back. But that, that's not really in the spirit of the question. Good center back. Is oh, that, back, that, like, is, what, what were you? Oh, I was a uh, right wing. So, a right sided midfielder. All right. We played 4 4 2 all the time. So, right sided midfielder. That would have okay. been it. I'm trying to imagine you in a tight goalkeeper's jersey with the gloves. 
and you'd have to be shouty and commanding. That's not you. Uh, no, that's not. But I don't. Uh, I can deliver my message without having to be Jordan Pickford. Well, I mean, jittery and erratic, like he's on some kind of. I, I do find it interesting these goalkeepers that like a, a shot happens, they save it, and they they lose their minds. Yeah, and I sometimes am saying to the television, like, dude, like. That's why you're there. Like shots are gonna happen. You're a goalkeeper. Like you can't you can't lose your s every time a shot occurs. But Andrew, it's the tension of the position. It's the, it's literally. How would you like to have anxiety, severe anxiety, for ninety minutes and know that everything is is down to you? You're the last line of defense. You make a mistake, the ball goes in. It counts on the scoreboard. There's no room for error. So when you do something good, it's a release of that tension to shout. Half the time, it's nonsensical. Half the time. Like, I I, I played in goal for um, Gaelic football goalkeeper, similar to what a soccer goalkeeper has to do. And I saved the penalty. And I got up and I screamed at the guy, at the kid who'd taken the penalty and called him an effing bottler. Just screamed it. I don't know why I did it. I can think of some reasons. You're obviously a jerk. Beyond First that. First and foremost. Beyond that, it was the release of tension. Yeah. You know? <laughs> How, did he, re- How did, did he react? I mean, he wasn't even hearing anything. He'd missed the penalty. Yeah. You know? He was just... And also, when you get to a certain age, so I was in my mid-30s then, and this this guy was like 23 or 24. The buzz it gives you you know the 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 feeling still got it. You know, you bottle that feeling. Forever. I swear to God, if you ever if you ever address me in that way during a, a personal low moment, I will I will stop what we're doing. I'll drive to Brooklyn. <laughs> what is that look? I've never screamed or shouted at you ever. No, no, never. No, never. Because you know we, better. Because you know better. Yeah, because because Andrew's the disciplined daddy, and discipline will be enforced. Um, Fazil. Oh, big one here. Andrew, please share your Bahamas Jay-Z story. You can't just mention it and not give details. Now, we had an off-air argument where I said this story has never been told on the podcast. It definitely has. It has not been told. In almost nine years of doing this, nope. I'm sure it, it has. It has. You've mentioned it. You haven't gone into detail. You've gone into detail on ESPN Radio, um, but you've never, you've never spilled the beans on the podcast. You haven't. Well, maybe I should keep keep people waiting. Keep them keep giving them a reason to tune in each week. Maybe that'll be the week. No. Just tell no. us what happened. It's an All amazing right. story. All right. It was in the I'll try to be as brief as I can with it. Okay. Um it was in the Dominican Republic, not the Bahamas. We um we were there on vacation. We took a boat out one day to sort of like um like we had like a guide basically who was driving it and he knew like cool places to go. So he took us to some Island off the coast of the Dominican Republic. Deserted. 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 But like a like an Island where you can do this, like where boats can go to this place. There were, there were some things on there. It wasn't Cuba. No, no. It was just like a, like an Island, tiny Island with nothing on it, except like some beach chairs and like a volleyball court. Sounds amazing. Yeah, it was really cool. So we we just kind of like dropped anchor a little bit offshore of this island, like 
you know, hung out on the boat. Um, and then a much cooler, larger yacht pulled up right near us. And, uh, like you could see some people going to shore on it off like, like a little like motorized raft kind of thing. I don't know what you call it, but like that came off the the back of the yacht and some Mm. people went on up to shore and we're like that. No. And we, we thought it was Jay-Z and Beyonce, but like, we didn't have a good, couldn't quite tell. But the more we looked, we were like that yacht, I think it might be. And so we then followed them onto the shore of this deserted Island and it was them. It was actually them with some of their friends and a bodyguard. And they like, I don't know how to even say this other than to just say it. They hung out with us. Like we hung out on this Island and like, it was literally only us. Like I said, it's a deserted, a deserted Island. So it was you and Amanda and the, the other family that we were vacationing with. They have two kids also around like my age. My sister was there too. Um, you know, so, so yeah, it was like the five of us plus our parents were all there. And then Jay-Z, Beyonce, a couple of their friends and a bodyguard. And we hung out. We played volleyball with them. Um, it was surreal to the point that I sometimes can't even believe that it actually happened. But I swear to you, it did. And what's, and, uh, what's Jay-Z like? The man couldn't have been cooler. Just yeah. like super friendly to everyone. He was the one when we were playing volleyball. He was the one who kind of like divvied up teams. Like he was like the like the go-getter in it. He was right. like, let's get this going. Um did you embarrass yourself or were you good? No, I was fine. Whose team were you on? Not his. So it was you and Beyonce? No, she was on his team. That he shouldn't have done that. That's not fair. Gotta 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 mix them up. She was she was quiet. I don't I don't remember her really saying much. She was pretty quiet. This was pretty... also a long time ago. Uh, this was probably in 2007 or 8, somewhere around there. Right, okay. Oh, um, man, she must have looked amazing. Sorry to go there, but... I mean, facts beautiful, are facts. Beautiful woman. Yeah, beyond stunning. Incredible. But, yeah, it was probably one of the most memorable experiences of my entire life. I'll never forget it. It's can't even believe it happened, but I'm telling you, I sw- I'm not that guy who just, like, suddenly... I'm going to just lie about this thing. I'm telling you, it's real... And it was it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. It would be so cool. It would be so cool if it had happened during the period of the pod, and we could have we could have been part of like his his media empire. Oh yeah, you think so? The weird little strange soccer podcast he picked yeah, up on the beach. I, I, I the one thing I'm lacking from this empire is a uh, a soccer podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always sure. thinking. Always thinking of me, Andrew. I, I'm actually so jealous. That is just such a cool story, man. Do you have anything? I, look, I wouldn't expect. I'm not trying to be arrogant here, but I don't know if anybody can can surpass that. You can equal it. Do no. you have anything even close? Um, I'll go with the one that comes to mind. So I, when I came out here first, I was just kind of looking for work with any media company I could. So it was 2014, and there was a Canelo Alvarez fight at Madison Square Garden, and um, a friend of mine, uh, Elaine, she got me working as a, a production assistant. Basically, whatever they needed to me, me to do, I would do it there on the night, a member of the HBO staff. And so uh, things were pretty much set up and they told me they wanted me ringside for the fight. So I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Absolutely awesome. So before the fight, uh, Max Kellerman was working for HBO at the time and also ESPN. 
And so I'd never met him before. And he sat down beside me and we started chatting about, uh, you know, he asked me what I did. And we'd already, I think we'd already, we had started the soccer podcast. And um, so it was weird for him to say, who do you work for? And I said, oh, I work for ESPN. And he's like, you're doing this? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And I'm wearing like this oversized HBO t-shirt, you know, something that they give to staff, whatever. And he's just looking at me. All right. And then we got into this argument about LeBron James versus the best soccer player in the world. At the time, it was probably Luis Suarez coming off an amazing season. I said, athletically and skill-wise, there's no comparison between the two and what they have to do. So I'm having this back and forth with Max Kellerman, whatever. Fight's about to start. He goes in, does his whole thing. I met Jim Lampley as well. And um, one of the people says, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is coming to this fight. He's re- he's rehearsing or he's he's gathering knowledge for this film he's doing, which ended up being Southpaw, I believe. Um, can you sit in his seat till he gets here so no one else sits <laughs> in it? And I'm like, can I? So I just sit in the seat and... Uh, in he comes, just comes in and uh, I just get out of the way. And then I'm like, what do we do? And basically the person in charge of me just said, you just got to kneel down beside him. Aye, aye, aye. So I'm to the right of Gyllenhaal um, holding my equipment, not what you think, holding the piece of equipment I had to go into the into the ring with afterwards. Um, because I was the guy that would hold up the screen for Max Kellerman so he can see where he is on the camera. Right. So when the camera's pointed, he sees where he is so he can stand and talk to the fighters. And so um, he's just beside me, just watching the fight. And we had we had a sort of a uh, a short conversation between rounds, but like nothing, just pleasantries. And then I got into the ring after the fight. I'm in the ring at Madison Square Garden holding up this thing for uh, this this monitor for Max Kellerman. You're one of the round girls. No, the round girls were around me. Oh, oh, yeah, they were in the ring as well afterwards. So huh. that's kind of cool. <laughs> no, it's I not met... as good as your story. All right. So you follow up Jay Z, Beyonce, Deserted Island with Max Kellerman and Jim Lampley. What, what are we even doing here, Jake? Jake Gyllenhaal. All right, okay. I, I, I'm in the, in the audience, yourself. I, all right. Cristiano Ronaldo was a number of seats away at the fight, as was Michael J. Fox. I didn't right. speak to either of them. <laughs> Doing my best. No one's going to stop your your story. It's so intimate. I know. It, it was... Don't even know what to say. All right. Um, cute on the Reddit. My question, and this is uh, pretty much for you, Andrew, I'd say. What is going on with Irish soccer? While never a powerhouse, the Irish used to qualify for international tournaments and even make some deep runs. Eh, once. Uh, furthermore, there seem to be fewer Irish professional players at high levels. Where other small countries are qualifying for major tournaments, producing high-caliber talent, and generally punching above their weight, the Irish seem to be in a deep trench. Is this just a false perception? Is this a bad wave that we should expect to uh, to go away? Is it an FAI issue? Would love your guys' take. I'll handle this. <laughs> I do have a lot of thoughts, actually. Would All you right, like well, to hear them? Um, do you want w- w- really? Yeah, you I have, can't have an opinion. Uh, all right, go ahead. Actually, you go ahead. 
All right. Well, here, I'll start with this. Um, that uh, So p- this website, powerrank.com, they take matches, match results from the last five years, but they weigh them according to importance. Mm-hmm. And then they rank every country. So, for like, for example, a World Cup match is worth four times as much as a friendly. Ireland That's- are 45th in the world, just behind Paraguay, just ahead of Saudi Arabia. They're 48th in FIFA's world rankings, whatever you think of those. Again, just ahead of Saudi Arabia, just behind Ivory Coast. So that's that's where they're at right now in terms of like their rankings. Now, so I, t- I took this question basically and I kind of just like threw it into Google just to see like, okay, like what are are th- this is a thing that I actually as an outside observer to Irish football, this is a thing I would I would agree with. That like there was a time when I felt like Ireland was a pretty prominent soccer nation, and I I knew all the players playing for them. Like, you know, like they were really I held them in a high regard as a kid growing up. And I mean, I'm not trying to be demeaning or anything, but I, they're not they're just not viewed that way, at no. least not by me. That's just something has happened. So I found this JJ Football Three Six Five, which is a great website. They they basically posed this question back in 2000, uh, 2021. So two years ago, roughly a year and a half ago, and they were kind of looking for submissions for Irish people to kind of weigh in um, with their thoughts on this. And there was one that I wanted to mention to you that okay. I thought was really interesting. Um, one submission that that's basically suggesting that this has not happened by accident. And so they say that you tell me here what's what's fact and what's fiction. They say that basically in the early 90s, uh, this is extreme paraphrasing because it was long but in the early 90s the gaelic athletic association which oversees gaelic football made a massive investment on expanding the growth and popularity of gaelic football within dublin specifically correct and traditionally this guy goes on to say many of ireland's better players in soccer came from dublin correct. but the city's athletic scene completely changed with this investment and has been consumed more and more by gaelic football um he goes on to say, uh, football at the grassroots in Ireland and in particular in Dublin is in tatters. Dublin GAA, which is Dublin Gaelic Athletic Association, is an unstoppable beast, and the effects of overinvestment have not even been addressed, and there appears to be no will or desire to either. Okay. Uh, is that is yeah. that a thing where just like soccer's relevance and importance has maybe taken a back seat uh, to Gaelic football? Imagine that's only one factor of of a multifaceted problem. Okay. <laughs> so um, certainly Dublin Gaelic football has been, you know, pumping money in uh, and they've been very successful. But just in terms of the Irish international team, I broke it down three ways. Because the popularity of the GAA, I think where the GAA have done well is across the country is that they've been able to get funding from the government. For to build GA pitches, like some of the facilities for GA clubs compared to the same facilities in the same town, it's night and day, Andrew. It's, it's what have the FAI been doing? Uh-huh. Um, so I think that the FAI has focused too much on the international team through that good, we'll say, 25 year patch from 86 to maybe like 2005, whatever. Um, basically, what's happened is this. Um, the international team was able to, we were able to have Irish players playing in the top teams in the Premier League. Like, up and down the league, there was sure. Irish players playing week in, week out. That doesn't happen anymore. It's an international league, and it's so much harder to get our players in there. The second thing is, we had the granny rule, which was basically, 
we benefited from years of immigration going to England and top level players like your John Aldridge's, who was a striker at Liverpool, um, or your Ray Houghton's at Aston Villa, and you know, Tony Cascarino, players like that, John Sheridan, they all would play for Ireland. It was an attractive thing to do. And because they didn't really have a chance of playing for England and they had a connection to Ireland that they knew about and they would play for Ireland. That doesn't happen now. Not to the same extent. And if it does happen, it's from lower down the leagues that we get the players. And, you know, this has happened in Scotland as well, but it's much more, it's much more acute in Ireland. It's harder to get our younger players in. And for 25 years, all the development of Irish players happened where? It happened in England. And so now with Brexit and it harder to getting young players, it almost much more difficult. I was going to say impossible, not true, but much more difficult to get our players over into English academies because it's flooded with foreign players. And it's, this, this started well before Brexit, though. Oh, it did. Yeah, the decline started well before that. I mean, year on year, there was less and less players playing at the top level. Now we pick mostly from a handful of players, Seamus Coleman, Doherty from, from uh, Gavin Bazunu from the Premier League. And then like the rest are from the championship. It's sometimes league one. Um, and that's just a decline that's happened over a few years, but we can't get our players over there. So now for the first time, we've had to think, how do we hothouse grow and develop our own players in Ireland? And then we look at our league. Our league's a mess. So our academy structure for some Premier League clubs in Ireland, semi-professional, professional, is only just started. We've only just started player development. So we're behind everyone. Like, a lot of the countries you see now doing really well, they're so many years ahead of us. We're playing catch-up, and it's hard. And we have an organization, the FAI, which is, has been almost bankrupt. America. If you look at the United States, Philadelphia Union, Dallas, Look at them producing players and then exporting them. The Red Bulls as well. NYCFC are going to be doing it very soon and have done it already. Sure. Scali, Reina. Harrison. I mean, make, yeah. fun of the, make fun of MLS all you want, but they've got their academy system right in the last 15 years. Ireland's way behind. And we're a much more established soccer nation, if you want to put it in those terms. But we've neglected our league, Andrew. So much. There's such a focus on the Premier League. It's, it's like having this massive elephant in your house that you have to feed and that takes all your attention and all your time. And meanwhile, you're trying to look after your family. It's really, really hard. And having England on our doorstep is now, once it was a benefit, now it's a problem. So we have to do it ourselves. DIY, Andrew. And that's going to take time. But Evan Ferguson has scored for Brighton in the Premier League. He's a young player. And we're hoping that there's more coming through. Yeah. Interesting. It is. Because, yeah, I just remember from my youth, like, you know, Robbie Keane, Roy Keane, Damian Duff, John O'Shea. Like, I just, I don't know. I just, rem- I, I could rattle off, like, the Irish 11, like, when I was, you know, in, like, early, mid-2000s, even. like, And those are all all top uh, top clubs that they went to. Like, O'Shea, Manchester United, Keane, Nottingham Forest, then United. But Damian Duff went over, went to Blackburn Rovers, but he had his picket teams. Ended up at Chelsea. Yeah. It doesn't happen now. It's there are there is top top talent, and it's coming from from all around the world now. It's so much more comp- uh, competitive than it was for Irish, Scottish, and indeed Welsh players. And you've had some unlucky breaks with Grealish, with Declan Rice. You know, well, Rice in particular. That's why it rankles so much. Like, you know, you thought 
there's another guy, okay, immigration coming up trumps for us again, and he takes three caps. It's it's so it's soul destroying. It really is. Um, but there we are. Thanks for giving me this time to to vent. Yeah, the, that that was actually like genuinely interesting to hear yeah. that. Um, Kevin Ortiz, Uruguayan forwards. Who was better? Who do you take right now? Suarez or Cavani? Well, right now, I mean, <sighs> I mean they're both kind of done, really. If, I mean, just to address the who was better. Suarez. I don't know. I mean, for me, it's this is like no contest. No, Suarez. Suarez, just, just as a footballer, could do so much more than Cavani, and Cavani was great, really great. Um, but Suarez, a million times. Yeah, like uh, I, I talked the other night, JJ, when we talked about Bale. Yeah, you know, the way I like I held his his twelve thirteen season in that kind of like rarefied air. Yeah. So like Suarez did Suarez did it the next year. His 13-14 season is one of those seasons where like if if we're ranking greatest individual seasons that I've seen from a player in the Premier League, like that's that Suarez year is is near the top of that list. I was stunned. He was, and he was out of this world. And and he started with less games than everybody else. I mean, if he'd had the full complement of games, which he didn't have because of his ban for biting Ivanovic, he would have scored 45 goals. He had 31 that year. Oh. Then he went off to Barca. Two, so two years later at Barcelona, he had 40. Um, and like, remember too, like if, if you want to look through the duration of his whole career, because like Cavani for the last few years has kind of been a shell of what Cavani's peak was. But like Suarez, even at the end, when he went off to Atletico Madrid and you're like, oh, Barca are done with him. He's cooked as a player. He goes to Atletico in the 2020-21 season, scores 21 goals that year. So even like the end of his career, he was still producing at a ridiculous rate. So, I mean, look, Cavani, fine player, but also the fact Suarez was doing this in the Premier League and La Liga. I just don't hold, you know, most of Cavani's prime occurred at PSG in Liga, you know, when PSG were just like this, this force that no one could even like begin to to reckon with. So, you know, I, I give Suarez bonus points for having done it in two superior leagues too. Like it's, Again, both really good players, but for me, it's not close in terms of where I where I rank them. No, it's not close. Um, okay, Chris, outside of five-star reviews and sharing with friends, what's the best way to support the podcast, especially now that it's independent? I've loved the pod for years and want to support. Is there a Patreon, merchandise page, or something similar? So, um, Great question. I appreciate him <clears throat> supporting and, and asking this. Yeah, I mean, those things that you listed are still important. We need five-star reviews, Apple, uh, Spotify, wherever you can do it. Sharing with friends, sharing with people you don't know or people who are into soccer that you've met, that's important too. Um, In terms of merchandising, we are in hopefully the closing stages of uh, being rebranded. And once we do that, we're going to take that straight to merchandising people and we're going to sell stuff. We're going to sell hats, T-shirts, whatever we can um initially and that it will be a massive way of supporting us um the patreon we may go to that yet i we're mm, wow we, it's a well, big we statement well we might put certain content behind a paywall and, we'll see well a lot know. of people a lot of people have said that they would and well, um we got to talk about these things well let us know if you think that that's something you'd want to contribute to on a monthly basis to keep this thing going crowdsourcing interesting yeah well let's find out let's give the people what they want but um but yeah, <laughs> is that what they want? I want to pay for this. 
Well, you we're asking them right now. Let us yeah. know. All right. Yeah, I'll be curious. At CEO Soccer Pod on Twitter, on the Reddit page. Let us know. Whatever you think. Email us. But, but I, I will say that his, his first thing that he says there about, you know, aside from telling friends, that's important. And like, like, you know, that like that does matter. This is like we said, this is like kind of grassroots right now for us. So um, like that kind of thing matters. Like you may not think telling somebody matters, but it it, do, it genuinely does. And it, and it does add up. And, you know, if you hear something on the podcast that was interesting to you, tweet about it, you know, it, it, you know, like get a conversation going like stuff like that. You know, we'll, we respond to most tweets. So um yeah, like that kind of stuff helps. It certainly helps. But merch is coming, guys, and rebranding is I can't coming. Wait. I'm I'm really excited about that. And and yeah. big thanks to I mean, it's a listener that's helping with us, a, a top industry professional in the in the branding. We we've probably driven poor Michael to drink though. You know, I mean, you can't make a decision to save your life. I made it before you did. Did you? Yes. We'll check the tape on that. Um <laughs> But he Ryan. is he is a great guy. I can't even believe he's like done all this to help us. It's Michael, you are you are my hero. He is a kind, kind man. Yeah. Uh, Bryant, this is the quick one. Serious question, so only serious answers will suffice. Would you rather fight a hundred frog sized Andrews or one Andrew sized frog, weird body and all? Um, considering I felt like at one point in your house on Sunday, I was fighting an Andrew sized frog. Uh, in your son Luke, who kept throwing <laughs> objects at me uh, while I was trying to eat, so I, I feel as if I would take the uh, Andrew-sized frog because it's just I'd take it out and I'd be done. Whereas it'd be like, I think it would devour you though, like just attacked from all sides. I've already had that experience trying to eat dinner, so I don't know. One a, a frog the size of me, I'm like six two. You're not six two. In six one room. and three quarters. All right. You want to measure me? You're if you're five ten. You're lucky. Are you? Are you have you lost your mind? <laughs> what, what what's happened to you? Uh, you might you be six fever? foot. You might be six foot flat. Uh, I'll get a measuring tape right now. Oh, touched a nerve, haven't we? Oh, well, you're a liar. I don't know why. All right, calm down, Napoleon. Uh, I'm six three. I'm six one and three quarters. I'll give you that. All uh, right, three quarters is important. If, is it? if you yeah. don't want me to get to six, if you don't want, if you're not comfortable with me rounding up, then I'll stop there. But it's I'm right very there. comfortable. You seem uncomfortable. Well, what are you? Uh five ten with heels. <laughs> when you parade around in Louboutin heels, you're five ten. Wish you could afford them. Um, what was what was the question? Oh, uh, forget about it. It's about All right. f- fighting frogs. Yeah. Madness. All right. Um, oh, wow. We've got a bit to go yet. Okay. We got it. We, we got to fly. Um, so uh, Nick Bedell, would you implement any of these rule changes to address issues in the game? Okay. So we're going to do these one by one, Andrew. Um, Patrick Ittrich is a German FIFA referee and he's had things to say. So here's the first one that he suggests. And you're going to go yay or nay. Okay. For, for a tactical foul in midfield, a free kick should be awarded 17 meters from goal. How often will we see such fouls then? Uh-huh. Yay or nay? Yay or nay? Uh, you know what? Yay. I'd trial it. I'd certainly trial it. Um, his next one. If a player rolls on the floor three times and needs a doctor, get him one and make him wait outside for three minutes. How quickly do you think the player will stand up then? Eh? Um, 
Okay, yay. I'm okay with that. Player Three minutes, on... that's that's reasonable. Yeah, you're asking the referee to count the rolls. No, I don't like this one. Uh, no. Okay. Uh, if a player insults a referee, send them outside for 10 minutes to cool down. Go cycling to warm up before coming back in. We can learn from handball in that respect. Uh, I'll say I'm all for respect of, of referees, but I'm going to say nay for that one. No, I don't like that either. And finally, how's a referee surrounded by 10 men after a decision? In my opinion, boom, boom, boom. Three red cards. Play seven against 10 now. That'd be no. fine by me. This nay. is not This is not a serious suggestion. Nay. 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 I think Patrick had a few a few shandies when he came Yellow up cards, that. okay. I think they can probably... They, they can probably be a little freer with yellow card distribution in those situations, but to just go straight to red? No. I like the much. tactical foul one. I think I'd like to see that trial. I think that's there's some merit in that one. You know? Yeah. Like say Yeah, cuz that's a part of the no one likes that part of the game. Like no. No, that's true. Uh Brasrat Walde. Uh best film of the year, Banshees are everything everywhere. So I've only seen Banshees of Inisherin. I really enjoyed it. Is it the best film of the year? Maybe I haven't seen enough of them. Um, I watched Nope recently and found it weird but really enjoyable. Um, not for everyone, definitely not. And creepy as all hell, but I thought it was very, very good. Banshees is funny and it's poignant and touching, I think. Um, I, I'm not sure I liked it as much as everybody else has. What about you? Okay. Uh, haven't seen that or any of the ones you just mentioned. Heard it was good. I'll, I'll watch it. Um, a couple that I have watched recently. Uh, I recently watched All Quiet on the Western Front on Netflix, which was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. Um, I watched, uh, and I liked it a lot. I thought it was excellent. Uh, the Forgotten Battle, another, uh, this that this one's a World War II movie, The Forgotten Battle. That's on Netflix too. I thought it was excellent. Um, Argentina 1985, I just watched on Prime Video. I loved it. And then last night, it won the Golden Globe for Best Foreign Language Film. Okay. So I feel validated. Yeah. And then also uh, Wasp Network on Netflix. Um, I thought it was really good as well. Um, so those, the, none of those, are, those, I don't think any of those are best picture ones, although the Argentina 1985 took home a nice award. But um, yeah, those are all streaming right now on various platforms. And so if you see it, take my recommendation, even though that scares me. <laughs> uh, Seamus. Uh, does Pulisic being out for months help Gio in a way? For the March window, it looks like Pulisic won't be an option. So starting Gio on the left could help dampen some of the noise around the situation if he plays well. Well, it depends on who the manager is going to be. Um, I, I honestly think if I am, if I'm Greg and I don't hold it against Reina, any of this and don't link him to it and and agree that it was settled in camp, their issue, then I'd get him back in and play him as quickly as I can. And then you get that off the table, just off the table. Um, or if I'm another manager, if I want to quiet the noise, I play him as quickly as I can. What do you think? Well, I do agree with the idea, JJ, that like right now, Gio Reyna, I think we all, however we looked at him before the World Cup, fair or not, we all kind of look at him a little bit differently now. So I agree with the idea that the only thing that can change that and kind of bring him back into our good graces is him playing. Right. Like that's it. Um, there's nothing he can really say. 
we just got to see him play again and play well. And, you know, and if he's healthy and Pulisic and Christian Pulisic's not, then I'd say Reyna's pretty much guaranteed to play. Um, now, like you said, there are what ifs here. Like what if, if Bearhalter remains manager, which I don't know that'll happen. Um, and I don't know that I would have that happen. Um, but like, so when we get to these nations league matches in, in March, like, so now what now we have our, our stare down that would be, Pretty fascinating. Would Greg call Reyna into the squad? Um, and would Reyna even be willing to play for the squad if Bearhalter is still the manager? Or would he not accept a call-up? So, I don't know. My guess is, from that regard, whatever whatever bad feelings there are between those two families, mm-hmm. they'll continue. That will persist. Yeah. But I do think, from the standpoint of, like, could Reyna play for Bearhalter again? Would Bearhalter pick Reyna? I, I think from that standpoint, cooler heads will prevail. They might hate each other, um, but I think that they like. I don't think Reyna will say I'm not suiting up for that team as long as that guy's the manager. I think I think eventually he'll he'll play for him, and just you know you don't have to love the guy you're playing for. You can hate the guy you're playing for, but if you both have the same goal, Alexi Lalas talks about this all the time. That like there were guys in his locker rooms oftentimes that did not like each other didn't get along but like once they put on the jerseys they could just accept the fact that look we're here for the same thing and that's to win and like that was enough in a a team setting and i think that would that would be the case here i think i agree with that uh dylan olsen this is probably more difficult question for andrew but who would you rather see win the premier league this season arsenal or man city i mean that's easy how is that difficult how is that I would. I mean, if I'm deciding between the two, I, I'll say a prayer tonight for Man City to be the one who wins it. Are you kidding? No, not difficult. No, Easy. not difficult at all. I'd love to see Arsenal for um, just. I think it'd be really good for the league. You're a bad friend. Um, let's see. Uh, thoughts on United's run of form? Is it so solely due to the level of opponents they have faced, or is Ten Hag actually demonstrating tangible progress here? asks fig i think it would be unfair to just say it's a level of opponent thing um it's definitely helped but so far the form of of rashford casemiro um ten hags even found a way to play luke shaw at center back and get away with it um you know there's certain things that aren't 100 percent like the the press that you would have expected from eric ten hag it's not quite there but on the other hand it's less risked if they if they press more conservatively and so like the back line is definitely felt more solid um the league defeats to lesser sides that marked Ole's tenure are less likely now although they did lose to Aston Villa away i accept that but generally they feel more like they'll win those games um man city at the weekend in the in the derby is going to be absolutely fascinating to see just how much progress they've made but they've you know they've beaten the league leaders they've beaten liverpool um yeah, I, I I think it's unfair just to say level of opponent. I think they've been good. Yeah, absolutely. And like, what an achievement Ten Hag is on the brink of now that they're into the semifinals of the Carabao Cup, and they've got to be considered. I would, th- I mean, maybe some people would say Newcastle are favorites. Not for me. I would say Manchester United are favorites from here on out. They've got Nottingham Forest in that semifinal. They should absolutely win that. Um, and Newcastle are going to play Southampton. I would think Newcastle should win that. So. I don't know right now, like just what a thing it would be for Ten Hag for his first available trophy to win it. 
uh, and so and like kind of solidified this great first impression that he's made with this fan base. Um, yeah, you mentioned Rashford, JJ, uh, under Ten Hag. So Rashford right now, he has more goals in his last five games for Manchester United than he did in 32 games in all competitions last season. A different player. Uh, mm. Some of that is him, but like... Some of that's Ronaldo being gone as well. Yeah, I'm sure that could have something to do with it. And then, yeah, like you said, this weekend, I mean, what a what a test this will be for both teams. And Pep, after, you know, so Man City, we should talk about it now, lost to Southampton in the League Cup. And we can say what we want about teams not prioritizing the League Cup. That has not been the case with Manchester City. They win it every year. They should, they should rename it. This is the first time they've gone out in a domestic quarterfinal or some weird thing like that. And certainly the first time they've gone out, once they've reached the quarterfinal, they, they usually go on and win the Carabao Cup. They didn't they didn't start De Bruyne. Uh, Holland came on, but they had a you know, I mean, they had a strong team out and they, they were not good. They did not play well. And Southampton, for the first time under Nathan Jones, looked like a, a well-put-together side, a team that kind of had a plan. And uh, they were impressive, man. I have to say that. And um, they limited City, limited City. And and Gavin Bazunu made a few really good saves and was very calm. But <clears throat> I don't think he went full stretch at all in the game. Maybe he did. There was that flicked on header laid on from from Haaland. Um, but generally, it was comfortable for Southampton. And um, yeah, that's that's not exactly what you want going into the into the derby for for City. No. And what about that second goal? Yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, Gineppo's in the in the twenty eighth. No, it was really, really good. And and they've had such a dreadful home record, the worst in the league. It was it was so important uh, for just for something to go right for Nathan Jones. Um, speaking of which, Andrew, well, real quick real, before we move off of that, this this weekend in general is fascinating at the top of the table because you have like I'm look I'm not going to be one of those people who says something so outlandish to say that like. Still with 20 games to go, the title could be decided this weekend. I wouldn't say that. But this is this is a landmark weekend potentially in the title race with if Arsenal can go to White Hart Lane and win a place that they have not been able to really do that. Um, and if Man City go to Old Trafford and lose, then you open that gap right back up between those two to give Arsenal even more breathing room. Um, and like those are... I mean the the form that all of those in, teams involved are in. It's that's a possible outcome for this weekend. And so when we're sitting here doing our next pod Sunday night or Monday night, whenever it is, if that happens, I mean the the tone of of how we speak about the title race is going to be, it's going to be different. Like I said, it doesn't decide anything. But man, I mean, if you're Arsenal at that point, suddenly we got to ha- start to have a conversation about the expectation for the remainder of the season. And I think. You can get to that place if you're Arsenal after this weekend. If if all that plays out, you can start to think we we should win it now. We should. I don't know that that would be an overstatement. Connor Rickard, um, he wants to know. Well, he he was talking about how Southampton. His initial email was about how Southampton supporters were just just so down on Nathan Jones, uh, but he he's still curious on what some of the the worst appointments you can remember. So he hasn't fully changed his mind on Nathan Jones, but he's been heartened by what happened to tonight, uh, what happened to Southampton tonight and the performance they put in. I've got three of the worst appointments. Okay. Um, my three are, I don't know if you'll remember this, Jacques Santini leaving Spurs after only five months in 2004. 
which is just a classic Levy hiring and firing. We didn't get a chance to fire him. Santini just left. He said personal reasons, but I think Levy was growing impatient with him. But he was like Jack Santini. He was, you know, he was French. He was, you know, at the at the heart of the French Revolution in football. He was this great thinker, and he was, you know, the name du jour uh, in Europe at that time. So Levy, Levy always loves the soup du jour, the guy that's that's then on the on the tip of everyone's tongue. So he hires him. And uh, only realizes it's not going to work out. And I'm sure part of it was like looking down the road at the Arsenal Invincibles and thinking, we need our own Frenchman. We need our own Wenger. Didn't work out. Um, Sam Allardyce, England. One game. (laughs) Just one game. Yeah. And a date. Was it was it a telegraph sting uh, where he admitted admitted things he shouldn't have admitted after drinking a pint of wine, we believe. There's no evidence it was a pint of wine, but we will keep saying pint of wine. And then Frank De Boer, Crystal Palace, yeah, four games, answer. no goals, sacked. That's the, Frank De Boer is the correct answer. Uh, you mentioned Jack Santini. I, I would say I don't know. I guess that one is worse. I, for Tottenham, I, I would throw Nuno in there. The fact that he won August Manager of the Month, <laughs> I guess if if it's like a tie between the two, then you got to at least say Nuno has that. So Santini then takes it. Right. Um, but like that was one that you knew it was their eighth choice. No one was excited about it. It nearly drove Harry Kane right out of there. Had unless had Levy not just like refu- outright refused to deal with with Man City, um, and and they then corrected it and and hired Antonio Conte. But I. That one, you you knew quickly that this no, this isn't going to work. But yeah, De Boer, I think is the is the answer. Um, there was a, a, me, a an honorable mention for one. I I was looking up and I again I saw it on Football Three Six Five. They had mentioned Felix Magath at Fulham, who um, I think he tried to fix was it Breda Hangeland's knee with some kind of soft cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, David Parisher, he's going to finish us off tonight. Um, as an Everton supporter, this is hard to say, but would relegation allow them to reset the club philosophy and playing style a la Burnley under Vincent Company this year? Ooh. I'm just going to say, yes, Company. It's been fantastic. Like Burnley are most likely going up and will probably go up as champions. It's worked out really well appointing Vincent Company. He's got the style of play going really well. They had that uh, excellent win over Bournemouth in the Cup uh, at the weekend. 100%. You cannot compare Burnley and Everton. You you cannot do that. Everton are founder members of the Football League. Uh, it's just this enormous... I'm not saying Burnley don't have a history. They do. But Everton are just like... I mean, the size of the club. The view the supporters have, relegation would be a singular humiliation for them. It would be just dreadful. They are a big club. They may not have the recent trophies. They may not have the prestige of the of the new moneyed, uh, financially dope sides in England. But they are a they are a big club, a historic club in their own right. Their supporters wouldn't see it as a reset or a chance to reset, they would see it as an utter catastrophe. The other thing is, 
right before Christmas, I was reading an article. It was in November about Bramley Moor Dock. They're moving to a new stadium, right? And it was a Guardian kind of investigation into how that's been funded. And usually, and this is just the crux of it, usually before a spade is put in the ground, the funding has been secured for the stadium. And the Guardian contend that that is not the case with Everton. Oh, boy. Oh, boy is right. So they, they have no room for error here. Relegation would be disastrous if that is the financial situation they're in. So, no. Um, there's ju- that option is not there. And that's why we're hearing rumors tonight on Twitter and a few other places that uh, the Dice man cometh. Um, they're really looking at Sean Dice. Now, I, I would have my own, as much as I don't think Lampard can turn this round, um, I would have my own reservations about Sean Dice because Burnley, the aforementioned Burnley, were heading straight down under Dice. He only left with enough gap in time to make it look like, not to make it look like, but to not be fully responsible for that relegation. To give the illusion that had he stayed, maybe things would have been different. Exactly. There was no, there was no sign of that. Uh, certainly not. Yeah. Um, so these are, these are scary times. And especially if Southampton put a run together, it's so tight down there. Say Southampton put a run together, uh, say Wolves start to pull themselves up as they seem to be under Lopetegui. I mean, they were, they were really good against Liverpool in in the League Cup, in the Cup, excuse me. Um, and then Everton, I mean, Everton are not as good. I don't think they're as good as either Southampton or Wolves. Well, we'll we'll find out a little bit this weekend when they play Southampton. I think that went to Goodison. Uh, so, okay. I mean, it could get, it could be really dire. It's uh, really scary, and and the money in the stadium and all that just means that. I I totally get what you're saying, but there is no reset for. They for cannot go down. They, they cannot go down. It would be a disaster. And people can parade around all the examples that they for every, look for every Burnley that maybe it's helpful. And by the way, we'll see. But like for every one of those that that it's helpful to, there's five Leeds, Portsmouths, Sunderlands, you know, teams that just like enter an abyss. Yeah. And especially with a with a stadium that has to be funded. No, this, it, this is, it cannot, they cannot go down. I really think that it would be a, a true disaster. I mean, look, maybe the, the stature of the club is like when Newcastle went down, you kind of knew it felt like they'd be right back. Um, did it maybe, though? I mean, they did it, but it ne- like you, there was no guarantees. You're right. You're right. No, you're right. There is no guarantee. Um, but maybe Everton's size and stature, maybe they would at least, you know, they, they'd certainly have to sell some players, but maybe they'd be able to keep some, a few key guys, uh, maybe, you know, other high level championship players would, would flock to them. Um, but it's not a risk that they can take. They just, they I mean, can't. Th- this would really be testing the theory that there are some clubs who will never go away because they're just too big and too ingrained in the soccer culture in England. That would really test that theory. I would, I would, they can't go down. That simple. Yeah. Uh, is that it? That's the mailbag. Wow. Holy cow. That's the biggest ones one we've ever done. There's ones we didn't even get to, but I really enjoyed it. It's something yeah, we, there were. Should, we should do People, more some, often. Yeah. Someone was asking us what shows, uh, Adam, the creator asked what, uh, what shows we're watching now. 
Um, oh, I was going to tell him I, I just finished season two of Slow Horses, which I loved, and I just yesterday finished watching The Bear, which I also loved. I've um I've just finished the uh, Last Chance You basketball at East uh, East Los Angeles. Um, brilliant. I think it was the best season so far. It was really really good. Um, I'm going to rewatch We Own This City because I do like to rewatch them, and I think that was so good the first time. Uh, that is the kind of um the drama, the mini series about um the corruption in the Baltimore Police Department. And uh, what's the other one I'm about to start? Oh, I'm in the middle of the Madoff documentary on Netflix. Oh, is it good? Uh, it's very good. Okay. It, this is a Ponzi scheme that we could have done. There was... Go on. I I expected... I've I've, I've never really engaged with, with the Bernie Madoff stuff because I thought it was complicated high finance. It was not. It was a basic Ponzi scheme, a total and utter fraud. Hmm. Robbing Peter to pay Paul. That's it. And it made no sense why he did it. Apart from like greed and wanting to be seen as someone who can, who was a mover and a shaker, he had already won very good legitimate business. Why he had this other thing on the 17th floor of the lipstick building in Manhattan, which was just such an incredible fugazi. I, I don't know. It's amazing. The documentary is amazing. It's, it's nuts. And it's nuts how many people did not call him out decades before this whole thing came crashing down in 2008. All right. I'm sold. I'm looking. I just finished the bear. I need something new for my train ride to and from work. All right. You got me. You got me. Uh, This was a joy. This was a joy. We can't let it go this long before we do another one of these. I love it. Pleasure. We went into everything. Dublin GEA's influence on Irish soccer. Bramley Moore Dock. Um... The bear. Yeah. And Andrew's yeah. unwillingness to spend any money on equipment. Jay-Z, Beyonce, my oh, height. It's all there. It was all, it was all out there to be discussed. Uh, well, this was super fun. Um, just because this one's done, like I said, we're going to continue to obviously take your questions and comments and everything at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. Uh, what's the Instagram, JJ? Pod. There you go. Kept simple simple. enough. Simple enough. Uh, This was awesome. You got anything else? No, that's it, my friend. Well, then the only thing left to say is to you, I say. Check you later, phone boy. See you, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.